0: Your podcast on the Whitechapel murders. This is episode 20, The Ripper Scribes, for June 29th, 2008. I'm Jonathan Mengus, coming to you from Topeka, Kansas. Joining the show today is Martin Fido in Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Paul Begg is in Maidstone, Kent, in the UK. Chris Scott is in Ramsgate, Kent, in the UK. Robert McLaughlin is in Calgary, Alberta, Canada this week. Mike Covell is in Hull, in the UK. Allie Ryder is in Charlottesville, Virginia. And Levon Tal is coming to us from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and the podcast is joining the conversation already in progress. Let's start off. Uh, I'll just start off by a question, guys. How's A to Z coming along? How is from my, pers- my perspective? It's coming along great.
1: Oh, yeah. I'm at the forefront. I'm at the forefront of it oh. all. Yes. Oh. Mar- Martin, Paul, Keith—they keep in touch with me, and it's going great. We were you saying how's the A to Z? Is A did you say A to Z? No, he, he says, says A to Z. Z. I, yeah, yeah. American. Okay. He's an American.
2: Yes, we now I understand. That. Yes. How is it coming on? Uh well, you as you are expect aware, the publisher went bankrupt last year and um the people who bought his assets made such a rotten offer to continue. Uh, with it, that our agent said flatly, "No, no way. Don't let me find another publisher." It's now being looked at by Yale University Press,
3: cool. which is more oh, evidence. They have actually, turned it down. Actually, oh, have they?
2: Oh, I hadn't seen yeah. that. Not cool. Is is that Paul? Yes, yes, it is. Hello, Martin. Hello, Paul. I was wondering I was when I'd sit- hear you.
3: Well, I was just sitting here in silence. Just, just.
2: <laughs> right. Oh, they've turned it down. That is a pity.
3: Yes, I, I think it was. Um, they, they, their excuse or reason was that they uh, didn't think they could do it. Ju- the, the justice that it deserves, I think, uh, is what she said. But um, there are about three or four other publishers interested. So the agent, our agents, just uh, showing it to them. Excellent.
4: Can I ask one? Qu- I've still got the original hardback edition of the Eighters. How many, how many editions actually have there been?
3: There have been uh-huh. four in total, um, including the hardback, and it was revised for the paperback, and then the, the two subsequent paperbacks were revised as well. So this would be the fifth.
4: Uh, been, and this, and how, how long is it since the last one came out? Ten years. Is it?
3: Mm. Yes, we would like to have, uh, have had it updated more frequently because obviously the book as it stands at the moment, being a decade old, it's... Uh, a long way from being up-to-date, although obviously a lot of the information doesn't change. Uh, But, um, you know, we're we're updating all the time, continually now, as uh, as we're waiting to find a publisher, so hopefully when it does get published, it will be as up-to-date as any book could be.
4: Yeah. Yes, because you expressed, when we chatted last week, you were saying about some of the sort of changes that were being made, and... Yes. Might, I mean it's 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 like painting the fourth bridge. I mean, it's just never ending, isn't it?
3: Well, let's try this. It's one of the problems. You just continually update, and it's it's extremely difficult to uh, to do because obviously a new piece of information can change mm-hmm. maybe uh, three, four, five, six different entries. Yeah, of and course. So you have to change each one of those, um, and and also try to remember which entries are going to be affected by it, because yes. you know, on the odd occasion you're going th- you go through the manuscript and you suddenly think, hang on, we've we've changed that somewhere, that 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 doesn't apply anymore. Mm. And so you have to change that one, and and so on and so forth.
4: So you must have a sort of very mixed feeling, I mean if somebody, some startling new piece of information comes along, you, you know, on the one hand you must think, oh goody, on the other hand, oh no, why now, you know, we're just going to press.
3: Yes, absolutely. Sort of. All how dare time. you? <laughs> yes, <laughs> well, actually, it is quite. We it's sorry. It's it's quite useful to uh, to have, uh, uh, but when the big discoveries come along, but when we got the small ones, that's where the uh, that, that's the what, the tedious bit. Mm, yeah.
1: And it would be shameful yes. to get into a situation like, say, with the Whittington Egan, where it was supposed to be the most up-to-date encyclopedia. And published seven years ago, and it hasn't come out yet. And then all of the new tech, you know, new information that's being found. If it's not published when you were planning to publish it, there's some, uh, you know, uh, stick to try to include that information into the book. Are you afraid you might get into
5: a situation like that?
3: Yes. Uh, I mean, it, it's it is difficult when you, 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 I think there has to come a time in any research where there is a cut-off point, and you say, right, that's it, and, and generally that's obviously as the delivery of the manuscript to the publisher, mm. um, but you try to shoehorn everything in, but of course there are length problems as well, and so everything that you put in uh, has the knock-on effect of, of, of one having to take something else out. So, if you so have it's
2: a hardback edition. You've got the one which has, for example, descriptions of all the locations and the important Whitechapel streets. They mm. went very, very quickly. They had to be replaced by new suspects, new researchers, and this sort of thing.
6: Yeah, mm.
3: yeah. So it's otherwise the the book would just the book could just expand into in, in, into so two volumes, and you really can't. Uh, if you it's tough enough finding publishers for one volume, let alone two
4: it's also i mean to me it's rather like doing a family tree because I mean you think you know do do I go to sort of third cousins twice removed or whatever it's it's how focused do you keep it I mean there's so many peripheral characters, aren't there?
3: Yes, I, th- I think Martin was quite right in one thing of is, is, is saying, well, look, we will we will cut out all those suspects that keep cropping up in the press and you get one fleeting mention of them and, and mm. then they go. We, we have to get rid of these, those. Th-
2: these yeah. are people who sort of say things, uh, you, you get drunks who <laughs> march down the street and say, oh, I'm sure, they get arrested yeah. and then they turn yeah. up on somebody's suspect list. Forget the yeah. drunks, forget the... Let's look at people who actually, for at some point, somebody seriously believed was yeah. Jack the Ripper, not just somebody who was a nuisance for one night.
0: No. Well, Chris, um, last week you were mentioning um, one of those drunks who, um, <coughs> who was uh, charged.
4: Uh, for... William
0: Bull. Yeah. William Bull.
2: Oh, yes, yes, William Bull. He was charged. Uh, they, they were charged with, you know, with... Ca- causing a nuisance with being drunk and disorderly. I haven't got this manuscript in front of me, and I don't think I want to go over to my filing cabinet, but we certainly had William Bull in as somebody mm.
6: who mm.
2: had uh, been a problem.
4: Yeah, he, he, as, as our, he, I think he confessed to the Edo's murder. Right. And was, and, and was, quote, charged on his own account. But, I mean, it was very quickly dismissed. I mean, it was apparently he was roaring drunk. Yes. But I mean, you know, he was one of only a number. But I mean, um, I, I, I think much more frequent were the, you know, the odd characters in pubs who, who started getting lippy and sort of are either asking odd questions um, or, you know, actually saying that they were the killer. And then either they yeah. were sort of chased out or, I mean, like the man that uh, Backett right. Bak- 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 was talking to in The, the Three Nuns. Yes. And, but, I mean, there are so many of those that, you know, it must be very difficult thinking, Right, like, where do we draw the line? You know, do we, do we eliminate the obvious cranks?
3: Yes, one of I, the problems, of course, is that you, you do that, and then all of a sudden somebody finds something in an American newspaper, which is an expanded version of the story that we've got from a, a British newspaper or yeah, something, and, you, yeah. and suddenly that person takes on a new life, and, uh, and you think, oh, God, we haven't got him in the book. Yeah, <laughs> we didn't think anything about him. No, because when, was was rese- re- when I was researching um, the uncensored facts, I got, uh, I-, I had uh, copies of the New York Times,
6: yeah,
3: and uh, and I found some references to Tumblety in them. Uh, and I've got, still got my notebook from from that time, and it, and I've I've written down the references and everything, and I just, I just dismissed him. I thought, well, he no importance whatsoever. Didn't, didn't make mm. it into the English press, so he's not significant. And yeah. then, of course, Stuart yeah. came across the little child letter, and my one moment yeah. of fame passed me <laughs> by. Yeah, Paul and Keith did an enormous amount of work back then, yes. which
2: nobody else actually would have known about. Because Paul had found Tumblety. When Stuart came up and said he'd got a new suspect in the little child letter, Keith said, Would that be Tumblety? <laughs> and he said that the letter also named the journalists who could have written the, uh, who were suspected of writing the Ripper Postgarden letter. And again, Keith named them. He'd done the work, it had never been published. Um, yeah. Probably a lot of people uh, have done a great deal of work that was never published. Where the famous case, Mr. Goffey, who had found out all about Ostrog before Paul and Keith discovered him in Scotland Yard. Goffey had failed to get his uh, essay on Ostrog published and had never done anything more with it. Yeah. And so people will be sitting on genuine information.
4: Was he the one who made the link with the James Evist case? The oh, my God. Stealing the microscope, I think mean, 1900,
3: 1901? i uh, uh, I'm not sure to be honest. No, I'm not sure. Go- Goffy had done such a lot of work
2: and uh... Where it all was and how people caught up on the Ostrog, I don't remember. I mean, I think back to the early days and Paul will be and Keith will be and even Stuart maybe will be among those who remember are looking thoughtfully at a Swedish photographer called Ostrog who turned up in all the death registers because maybe this was the
3: man. He wasn't, of course.
4: No.
3: But it was much simpler back then. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I, I sometimes look at this now, and I'm th- I, I finding it uh, maybe it's just age uh, or something, but I'm finding it increasingly difficult to be able to hold all this information in my m- mind anymore. I, you know, people name individuals and things, and I think, oh, right, I, I, it's, it's ringing a slight bell, but I can't, yeah. can't remember. I don't, I don't well, think
4: you can. I mean, it's, it's become such an unwieldy field, hasn't it?
3: Yes, yeah, so I'm going mean, to email it's, it's you tomorrow f- about Bull as well because I don't think we have got him in the uh, in the Z. <laughs> uh, well, I've I certainly mean, got...
4: And as I, as I was saying, as I said, I think last week, you know, the frustrating thing is that, 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 you know, by definition, huge fields of what you're studying are, from the very blinkered point of view, irrelevant. It's just you don't know which bits. <laughs>
3: Yes, well, you can guess sometimes. <laughs> but, but well, no, yeah, is,
4: yeah,
2: it is, yeah. It is It is difficult to. I think sorting out what is and what isn't irrelevant is very important if you have time constraints on, which most people writing books do. Yes. I th- that, uh, For example, I, I knew what I had been directed by my publishers to do. I'd put forward the proposal that pretty obviously um, the man named by McNaughton as Kosminski was the same person as Anderson's Polish Jew. Mm. Having examined the reliability of the various uh, authorities, I concluded that there must be a Kosminski in the asylum somewhere and would be the most plausible suspect yet proposed. And my publisher simply told me to go and find him. Mm. Now that meant immediately that areas that other people writing general books on the Ripper were working on were totally irrelevant to me. The Mm. um, Suspects' backgrounds, uh, their victims' backgrounds, I beg your pardon, were of Mm. no importance at all. I'd I'd got to find this man and find out whether he looked, as I thought he should, more probably the Ripper than the other figures in the field at the time, who were Prince Albert Victor, Druitt, and, of course, the Gull and the Masons story. Mm. Ostrog would have been nice to find as well, but I didn't find him.
3: It would have been, uh, with, with the A to Z, of course, it, it it becomes increasingly difficult now because any kind of judgment in terms of what you include or exclude, um, you're going to get hammered for <laughs> by somebody because somebody thinks that, oh, well, that should go in because that really is relevant. And you sit there and you think, well, is it relevant or not? And you, It's always good. Things that you leave out are in, invariably going to be relevant to somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, of course. Of uh, course. And it's it's very difficult.
4: I think I think it also depends on your not so much something like the A to Z, which by definition you know is very broad. But I think it uh, even if you're only sort of researching privately, I think it depends on your ultimate aim as well. Because as I, as I was saying last week, if you're absolutely focused on putting a name to the killer, hmm. which I'm not, then I think these other areas could get frustrating. I mean, if I if I go off and do a bit of research on on Ostrog or Tumblr or whoever. If at the end of the, you know, at the great scheme of things, you know, if he were named tomorrow and I found out that it was none of those, then I, 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 I wouldn't regret that research because it's been interesting in its own right.
3: Yes, absolutely. But I, I think that's the great thing about your book and the stuff that you've done. Um, I, I love all this peripheral stuff. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, I, I, I I've, you have all these people who will have been telling these anecdotes and stories to, exactly. to family members. <laughs> um like Mrs. Exactly. Fidimont or something will have said something, yeah. and yet we know absolutely nothing about her. Well, I mean, we, we know a little bit about her, yeah. but we don't really know very much. Yeah. And it's easy enough to speculate about what um, Joe Barnett would have been, must have felt like, um, mm. b- because people have, uh, in similar cir- circumstances, but it must have been, uh, I'd, I'd love to to know what Joe Barnett told, told his wife and, and children about, if, if indeed he'd. Cared to talk about it at all. Mm. Or, uh, you know, McCarthy or uh, Thomas Bolier. Uh, I mean, yeah. Lavender no, I mean, no. is yeah. the person I'd really like to know
2: what he had to say in later. Really like to know whether he was pulled out for a second identification and yeah. what he thought about it. He's, he's the most interesting and important figure, I think.
3: Mm. But all of these, these characters who, who are. But you know they're, they're one one second of fame. They flit across the <laughs> uh, the story of the Ripper, and that's right. Um, and they're you know they're, they're quite they're interesting. I, I, I like knowing about these people. It's intriguing. I always like in the news some of the newspapers they just give you a little tidbit description of the yeah. person, whereas normally they just give you the report of what the person said at the inquest. You yeah. get some saying you know she red-faced or uh, spoke with a squeaky voice or was the Mrs. Yeah. Gamp of of, of, the, of the day, yeah. which was uh, Mrs. Maxwell I think it was. Yeah.
4: yeah.
3: Oh no, it wasn't Mrs. Maxwell, it was somebody or other was described in the paper as, a, as the Mrs. Gamp of the day. Yeah,
4: she's, one, she's one who intrigues me. I mean that Maxwell account is just so strange.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, again, there's somebody who would be interesting. I mean, so She was
4: so adamant, you know, even under caution.
3: That's right. That's right. Well, and and that's, I, I and cannot not
4: believe she... I can't believe she'd got the wrong day.
3: Go ahead, well, Robert. She would have
1: questioned although, it. Although for me, it's not too similar to Eliza Gold in, in the Stride case, you know, who who said that, you know, Stride was her sister. Mm. You know, at the inquest, even under caution and after Stride had been formally identified
3: at that point.
6: Yeah, no, Mrs. It was, Mal- that was Mrs. Malcolm, Malcolm. isn't it? Yeah.
3: yeah. Eliza Gold was her yeah. sister. The sister, right. That yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it wasn't Stride's sister, she was somebody else's no, sister. No, yeah, yeah, she's Yeah. yeah. Mrs. Elizabeth, Malcolm.
4: I think Elizabeth yeah. Watts was the real sister.
3: That's right. Yeah. Yeah, yes, she I came get for, criticized for including that story in, in, in the facts, but I think it's worthwhile
4: I think it was it in a, Oh yeah. 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 Yes. Very especially
3: important
2: story.
4: Yeah, wasn't she the one with the spooky? She, she said she was felt a kiss on her cheeks about the That's time of the day. That's the one, yes.
3: Right, yeah. No,
4: yep. to, she you know, gave Twilight so much information
3: and... that was obviously seen to be Stride. and I, I think it, I know. If, and it would shed um, an interesting sidelight on, on Stride's character. I mean, she's, yeah. Stride would appear to be one who took advantage of of whatever was going on, like the Princess Alice disaster. There's no yeah. evidence to support her story Um of losing her husband and children aboard the Princess Alice so, but she right. obviously saw a, a chance to, to get some of the money or, to, or at least get sympathy and, and so forth yeah, so as, far, she, she
4: yeah, as far as we know she never applied
3: no, no. no uh, she, she, had, she had no title to it though, uh, she no, didn't
4: lose no,
2: her husband on that at all no. uh, I imagine that it was the name of the pub that gave her the idea Sorry? I imagine the Princess it was the Alice. Name, yeah, I imagine it was the name <coughs> of, of the pub, Princess Alice that gave her the idea of connecting herself with it to make herself more interesting.
0: And also, didn't she claim that um, that was the source of her missing teeth? Yes. But so so, um, so it, c- it could be that she wanted to invent a story mm. to explain, you know... Um, she, c-
4: she claimed that she'd been kicked in the mouth as she was escaping and the roof right. of her mouth... Was- was, yep. which I, when she said the roof of her mouth was missing, I mean, it sounded like cleft palate or some similar condition to that. But I, I think the autopsy said it was going to have to anyway.
2: Exactly, the autopsy did not confirm all this damage to the teeth
4: that was exactly. uh,
2: talked about, which was very puzzling. Mm.
4: One, thing, one thing I hadn't noticed, I was typing up one of those Scotsman articles today, and, I, and that was at, uh, actually about that part of the Stride inquest, and I checked back in the Telegraph one, which is on the main casebook site, and it is in there, but I hadn't noticed it before, um, which is where one of the witnesses actually said that Stride and her husband were employed on the Princess Alice.
2: Oh, goodness. I'd missed that. Yeah.
4: They weren't just sailing. They were actually employed. Yeah. They were members right, of the, I... he, Because he was a ship's carpenter. And I checked it in the Telegraph account, and it does say the same thing.
1: Mm.
2: Mm. That's that's curious.
0: So, with the just following up on that, would the compensation that would have been allotted to the family members of the victims have included employees of the ship? I have no I idea. <laughs> I don't obviously know. I mean, I
4: know. I remember. I, it brought to mind that outrageous story about the Titanic. Um Because the White Star Company um, stopped the pay of all the crew from the moment the ship sank. Ah. (laughs) Because technically they were no longer working for them.
0: (laughs) But it was revealed at the um, inquest or something that uh, she didn't apply for the money um, from the victims fund. Isn't that right?
4: Well, as Martin said, she'd have had no claim on it, would she?
0: Well, mm. um, well, they, wouldn't you think that the, the, they would have known what... Pos-
3: I'm not it, sure that they said that. I, th- I think, as memory serves, I'm probably wrong, but um, I think what it was was that they'd gone through the records and they could find nobody called Stride.
4: Amongst the uh, list uh, of the-, the
0: victims. That's
4: right. I've had, yeah, funnily enough, know. I've, I've, okay, um, I've yeah. published a list of the passenger list on the casebook today. Aha! Uh-huh. Aha!
2: But am I not right in thinking that uh, Keith has found out and we know when her husband died in popular works? Yes,
4: 1884.
2: Yeah, yeah. So he wasn't drowned on the uh, Princess Alice. It was uh,
4: was Michael Kidney. He said, um, she never had a child by me and I never heard of her having a child by the policeman. She said she had nine children. Two were drowned on the Princess Alice and the remainder were in a school in connection with the Swedish church on the other side of the Thames. I have heard her say... That some friends of her husband were employed on the Princess Alice. Uh. Foreman of the jury, do you think she was telling the truth when she said she was Swedish? Yes, I firmly believe she was a Swede. The deceased and her husband were both employed on the Princess Alice.
2: That's peculiar.
4: Yeah. Mm. And I checked, the, as I said, I, t- I checked the Telegraph one in the um, official documents part, and it's, it's tucked away at the end of uh, Kidney's statement there. Right. I, I, I just didn't remember seeing it before. I, nope, I, I, always assumed, no, I always assumed. No, I was assumed that you know she claimed she was being a passenger. They were just there on a pleasure trip as a family. But apparently, she was um, she was claiming they both worked on the Princess Alice. It was just one of those odd little things you notice.
0: Yes, mm. quite. And it is um, a connection like a again like you were saying last week Chris um, uh, following up on this stride thing <clears throat> inventing um, inventing the story of the Princess Alice to explain her condition um, is very similar to I mean it's just what Mary Kelly um, may have done um, to explain you know how she ended up um, where you know in Miller's court it's um, mm. it was, um You know, um, creation of her past, which um, makes it that's right. I think I think what what, uh, makes it very difficult, obviously, for researchers. um, I think
4: I think the main difference in the Kelly case is that the account as given to us by Joe Barnett and peripheral comments by others is that it is so, as I said last week, it's so well, in some aspects, it's so incredibly precise and detailed. I mean, the the strike the Stride account basically is, oh, we were on the Princess Alice, you know, it comes over as a sob story, um, and um, I don't mean that disrespectfully, I mean, if, you know, I mean, it must have been harrowing for those that were on it, but the the Kelly one is such a sort of precise, uh, you know, she married at 16, the husband's name, what he did, he died in an explosion, she was eight months in the Cardiff infirmary, so on and so forth, her father was a you know a gauger in an ironworks and all this it's just so precise now either she'd rehearsed that over in her mind or it had grown in the telling or there was some basis of truth in it and the, the the one thing that had changed which was a researcher's nightmare was her name yeah maybe I that, account,
2: it, you. And maybe I that account
4: is substantially true but she wasn't called mary jane kelly
2: yeah i think what is really surprising about that story is that unlike the standard Victorian uh, why I'm here on the street story, it doesn't say, I was seduced by a wicked man and he jilted me and here I am. It says, I went into this, I went on the game in uh, Wales, then I came here and I was in a good place in the West End. I went to Paris and I didn't like that, so I came back Mm. and I'm here now. It's not usual. For the no, Victorian no. to tell a story which says, "Well, here's my life of shame, and uh, I'm not no. especially ashamed of it," no. they didn't do it like that.
4: I mean, there's so, often a sort of there's a there's often a sort of um, Sir Jasper figure, isn't there? Absolutely. But, I mean, the one condemnatory note is the is the mention of the cousin in Cardiff. Yep. Um, but um, there again, contradicting that in Barnett's account, at one point it says that the the French woman in Knightsbridge led her into a bad life. Yes. To, um, but what's always intrigued me about the cousin in Cardiff, But you know, virtually every account I've read it sort of interpreting that said, you know, she, that the cousin in Cardiff must have been on the game as well and she led Kelly into... But there's no indication of the sex of the cousin in Cardiff. It could have been male. <laughs> That's, <laughs>
2: That's an interesting <laughs> idea. Right. It's an action, yes. And does the cousin in Cardiff... Would she actually have had to lead her... I mean, they, you could reconcile it with the Barnett story if she had said, well... I was a good girl and a virgin until my cousin in Cardiff said, exactly. well, a lot of fun, you're going to have back alleys with the boys. And exactly. then when I came to London, this lady said, well, you can make some money out of it as well, sweetheart.
4: Exactly. And also, I mean, the term, uh, the, the period in or to do with the Cardiff infirmary is almost exactly the, you know, the term of the pregnancy. Right. It's, it's quoted as eight or nine months.
2: Yeah. It's interesting. I, mean, I agree with you that I think that her story is interesting, and that something is probably in it. <laughs> well, I so. It's very, very difficult to say what because, again, as you say, the name just won't work. These names no. don't work.
4: No. When he, uh, the, the most precise one, and I was, I was saying this, I don't want to keep going over ground I mentioned last week. But the, you know, was the 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 three, uh, three or four alleged facts about the previous husband which you know when 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 you first come to that as a researcher you know you rub your hands and you think right born, born 1863 married at 16 husband called davis or davies yes. he died 2 or 3 years later you've got yes. him and of course you've nothing of the sort i mean you know it just doesn't fit
2: that 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 is the that is the story of Ripper Research. Of it looks it is. as if you've got something clear and easy. Here we are, a man called Kosminski went into the asylum. Yeah. Okay, what? But there is no Kosminski in the asylum yeah. at all, down to eighteen, nine,
4: 18 ninety one. Exactly. It's crazy. Exactly. It's like trying to grab smoke, isn't it?
3: Yep. But but one it. of the troubles as well with Davis is, apart from the name, which in Wales is a, is a very common <laughs> name, but uh, is the fact that. He was killed in a in a mining accident, and yes. so. But only the major accidents really got got uh, exactly. disasters got reported in any shape, way, or form. Somebody who was just killed in a because a, uh, a a lorry full of coal crushed him against a wall. That just didn't. That was just such a common event. It rarely ever. I think got mentioned. Yeah.
2: likely he was kicked by a pit
3: pony before the um, uh, lorry had come into existence, Paul. Well, I was thinking of one of the, the trucks, actually, that they had on, uh, on rails. On oh, the rails. Yep. Yeah, oh, yeah. That, that, uh, that, I th- that kind of I truck, it, as I... opposed to a big lorry truck that <laughs> you drive.
4: I think Barnet specifically says an explosion, doesn't he?
3: Yes, he did. Yes, it did. Which, of course, frightened the pit pony, which um, made him <laughs> turn <laughs> the truck over, which crushed him against the wall.
5: No, yeah, no, 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 right. he, hit,
3: he hit his Davy lamp against the wall, and it exploded, <laughs> and he died no, of his just, burns. it was his Davy's lamp against the wall. His name was Davy's, Martin.
2: <laughs> tra- yeah,
3: but it's, it doesn't matter. His <laughs> lamp was still Davy's lamp. Oh, goodness sake, I'm joking. You
2: don't tell a Penzance man that the <laughs> miner's safety lamp was invented by anyone but the great Sir Humphrey. Yes, Davy's. Davy's. <laughs> Penzance man. <coughs> my favorite right. boyhood walk to Traveller Woods was the same as his
0: uh, Robert not that we did it together say, were you gonna <laughs> butt in here well yeah Please, I was Robert. gonna say
1: like if, if you look through um, some of the uh, explosions in Wales in, in the late 70s and early 80s for mining deaths you come across a lot of Davises and Davies a lot yeah. mm-hmm. uh, when, when you just look at those and uh, it's it's mind-numbing uh,
4: but, but most of them, it's just name and uh, if you're lucky, it's name and initial. Um, exactly, and is, you
1: don't get much information beyond that.
4: No, most of, most of them it's just name and initial. You do, you, uh, a lot of them, you're not even given the age. No, some some you're given the marital condition, but um, it's near impossible. There are just so many. I, I if you add up the like the so as Paul says, the major uh, there was one. I know there was one at Risca. And there was one at the old naval colliery and the the right sort of time period you're looking at somewhere about eighteen eighty one to eighty two, if Barnett's account has any credibility. Um, I think you end up with somewhere about forty Davises if you if you look at all the casualty lists. And a lot of those it just says Davis. You know, there's no there's no address given this and in a lot of cases there's even there's no initial.
1: There's not enough information to follow up on.
4: No, nowhere near. Now, um, but there, but, there, but there again, to, uh, with respect, it's a fool's errand anyway, because you know you know that there wasn't a Mary Jane Kelly married to a Davis during, so you, you don't know the name of the wife you're looking for anyway, because you know it wasn't Mary Jane Kelly, because you know all all of the um, marriage certificates from, well, in my case, 1875 to 1883 have been looked at anyway. There's, a, there's only one that I found of a, of a Mary Jane Kelly and married a Davis, but they ended up living in Shoreditch anyway.
3: Mm. Oh, it's a nightmare.
4: And obviously had no connection. I mean, the, the only conclusion you can come to, I think, is that her name was not Mary Jane, it was an invented name.
3: Yeah, I, I, it's, it's probably the 2nd Battalion Scots Guards is the only way that we're ever going to get through, and then you're going to have to check the, the families of each of them. everybody have got a sister, <laughs> Yeah,
4: exactly.
0: Now, exactly. I want to go back to Stride for a second, if that's okay. Um, Chris, you had just mentioned a little bit ago about her children, um, and you named specific places where they may have ended up. Um, but there is also the idea that, that she may have been just totally fabricating having had any children, or at least any the, 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 the number that um, she claimed to have had or... Because right, none of her children have yeah. ever been traced.
4: Kidney, kidney says she had nine, or she claimed to have had nine. Right. And it says um, I'm not doing this from memory. It's just because the the um, document still open from when I was typing from the the it was the last bit I was typing earlier on today. Yeah, two were drowned on the Princess Alice, and the remainder, so presumably the other other seven, were in a school in connection with the Swedish Church on the other side of the Thames, i.e., south of the river.
0: Right. Which but could the, have been a complete fabrication.
3: The pastor at the at the Swedish church, as memory serves, never mentioned anything about her having children.
1: No. Yeah, Sven, Sven Olsen, wasn't it, at the inquest? Uh, yeah.
3: Uh,
1: never mentioned it. In. Um, one thing yeah, I yeah, want to ask you, ask you Chris, is um, in regards to the Princess Alice, um, do we have a, a complete list of, uh, of the victims of the Princess Alice
4: disaster? i'm doing it as from the times accounts mm. they're, they're, they're i mean they're huge accounts and they they do them uh the ones i've posted today were from the 5th of september and the 6th of september 78 and they give like putative lists they give these people are uh missing feared drowned these people are confirmed dead um these people are iffy they, although obviously they don't and then the sixth they confirm some and they say oh this person's been found alive and what I'm doing is I'm just typing them all and, and claiming them to, you know, folks can, the, the only reason I'm doing it is because you see references to various sort of, it's, you know, you read in a book, oh, you know, the, the passenger lists have been looked at and there isn't a stride there. And I'm not doubting anybody's word on that, but I think it's interesting to see them for yourself. Absolutely. But also,
1: if it's yes. I'm wondering would there I don't know enough about the time would there have been a distinction made between the passenger lists and the employee
6: list if you're
4: no no because employee. the lists I've posted today they do include crew as well, even the oh, captain whose name was Grinsted was the captain and he's reported as missing, and then the next day he's confirmed as dead.
3: trouble is of course that uh, the employee list would be fairly uh, accurate but they really didn't know the passengers because the it was, was uh, su- a, a pleasure steamer wasn't it and they were just they yeah were just, people the, just got on. Was, and
4: I mean I, I had a conception in my head of the size of it and the thing that surprised when I started typing these up was they had an onboard orchestra
3: that's right yes they were which, which I think were playing at the time rather like yes like I, hopefully, not a, yeah.
4: I, hopefully not abide with me but the <laughs> and because yeah, one of the guys reported missing, it said cornet player, and he was actually a member of the the orchestra.
3: Yeah, because it was it was basically a, a, a pleasure steamer, and people went got on it in in London and went to Margate and then back up the Thames again, right. and uh, listening to um, the, the orchestra playing and and eating picnics and doing all the things that. Yeah, it sounds rather nice, really. Yeah, but well, you're still going to get a hideous noise on a Thames
2: uh, steamer from the music being played at you. I imagine the orchestra was uh, about three musicians. Yeah, three or yeah.
4: yeah. Uh,
1: and one, one of the men, be- hi- and one of the men who was supposed to be in the orchestra on the day the Princess Alice sailed was the mortuary photographer for most of the Ripper victims in Joseph Martin.
2: Oh, the uh, splendid man who we have uh, discovered, yeah. yes. His great yeah. delight at last we got that. And that, of course, interests me so much because it supports the um, idea that some of that extraordinary French book is valid. Yeah, um, absolutely. Because you, uh, that, that, that is so... Inter- it interests me hugely because it indicates, doesn't it, that, um, as I think the newspapers indicate, that Sergeant Thick was not certain That uh, leather apron actually, John Pizer actually was leather apron, Mm -hmm. and yet the later parts of that French book are the wildest fiction. But the early bits, where he's talking about the police investigation, you get this extraordinary and absolutely true claim. It's the first place I saw it, and I knew always wanted to look for him. That the photographer, mortuary photographer, was a clarinetist, wasn't it? One of the woodwinds in Mm. um, a popular orchestra. Turns out to be absolutely true. Mm. Yes, and. um
1: Joseph Martin, um, as a child, uh, he grew up in George Yard, um, and, and he used to play in a fife and drum band, right? Right. And, uh, and, and that was his main profession, and um, his yep. father was a photographer, and he, he eventually, of course, became involved in it, and he took the famous, well, um, his uh, brother actually took the famous photograph of uh, Stephen White uh, that Rob Clack found uh, a few years oh, ago. Oh, right.
4: He's uh-huh. the one with a very distinctive moustache. Right. Which was taken around without, retirement. Without being... Which George Yard was that? Because I got confused the other day. I got misled by one the other day. Oh, is there so another
2: one? Oh, yeah. the there, one? There's,
4: there's George Yard... Uh, he... Is George, George Yard where Tabram was found.
2: Yep, Gunthorpe Street.
4: But then when I was typing up some stuff, the early stuff on the Striding Quest, it said... Uh, because Dean Chute stabled his horse at George Yard.
2: That's right. And this is a different George Yard? Which yes, was uh, what? Ratcliffe Highway it, or...?
4: It says specifically in the account I was typing up, it says George Yard on Cable Street.
2: Right. Oh, um, that's interesting. Yes. Uh, yeah. Because, uh, sh-
1: because Martin... So, um, so if, 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 right, if he there, had there's, the There was
0: two or three different places that were George Yard. Yeah. Yep. Because um, Martin,
1: were- Martin, when he uh, gave an interview, he said the school, the ragged school in George Yard. So um, if one of the George Yards um, had a school
0: nearby. Just to go right. in, just to go and back a know. second, um I wanted to make it clear for our audience just so it's not too inside baseball. The French book that Martin was referring Martin Fido was referring to was the book on Joseph Vacher who um, No it wasn't.
3: Oh no, it wasn't no 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 no, uh, no, 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 no by Jean Dorsen, no. isn't it? Yeah Jean Dorsen, right. yeah
0: okay.
2: Yeah. It's on Jack the Ripper and it claims to be from the memoirs of an inspector GWH of the uh, Berkshire or the uh, Vale of at uh, the Reading area, police, their records for the re- relevant years are missing. Typical uh, Ripper research. You know, they've got them before. They've got them after. <laughs> not G.W.H. would be there, and they claim to be the record. You know, the memoirs of this man, and they're absolutely ridiculous because chunks of them are completely a French idea of what a policeman would be like so he comes to make an arrest in England and he says donnez-moi vos papiers give me your papers well of course you weren't required to carry identification papers in England that's the first thing a French policeman would ask for are wildly fancy stories about his chasing ripper suspects across America and it becomes total fiction but at the beginning you have these clear references to known people like Sergeant Thick involved in the case and it was the first time I'd ever come across this suggestion that the photographer was a musician and by God this turns out to be absolutely true. And they dragged him out of a
1: place in the Ratcliffe Highway and um, his studio is right. actually in Can- Cannon Street Road which is nearby. That's right. All of that. Yep. Okay. All that matched. Well, yeah that
0: clarified it for me as well. Then,
1: as and as the, just for the listeners, um, there's an English translation Ah, uh, by Molly Whittington Egan, yes, and the forewords by Richard Whittington Egan. It was published, I guess, about ten years ago, and yeah. um, they're still available. They're so, they're sort of rare to find, but you can find them.
2: Okay. If anybody wants the original French, I've got a photocopy of
3: it.
0: Um, I wanted <coughs> to ask. Um, I've got,
3: I've got uh, just just to make you feel a little happier. I, I've got Jean Dorsen's own copy. Ah ha! And what do his what? notes say? Here, I was lying. <laughs> no, it, 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 I'm, I'm very pleased with it because it looks as if it's been never been opened, which which <laughs> is is par for the course for an author's own book. Yep, absolutely. I mean, yes.
2: Well, no. Sometimes I open mine and think, like Swift. Goodness, what a genius I had then.
0: Now I want to bring Levantale. As, as
3: indeed do we all. <laughs> do we all.
0: <laughs> I want to bring Levantale into this. Um, since he's sitting there patiently listening, um, um, we were talking earlier, uh, you know, about the A to Z and what to include and what not to include, and then about myth- the mysteries surrounding some of the victims. I was curious, and I don't think we covered this on the show. Um, w- how did you, did you approach um, the class um, and and um, discussing whether or not, for instance, Mary Kelly, the most famous victim of Jack the Ripper, may not have even been Mary Kelly? or, um, you know, some of the intricacies of the Elizabeth Stride story, whether it's, you know, she was blackmailing, posing as Eliza Gold and, and all that.
5: Um, well, I had them write the the papers, individual papers, on the suspects and the victims, and that's when the people who actually concentrated um, more using A to Z and other materials even the the final inquest or the inquest of mary kelly the final book i think somebody got a copy of that as well um, and they started to realize yeah that it was just not um, easy to pinpoint that this person was really this person so it did lead to a, a little bit of discussion in the class where you know we've got these names to go with faces and and uh, unfortunate photos but but we couldn't be, yeah, hundred percent certain that that's who that really was. Um, but uh, not too much about um, the background, especially since yeah, even your researchers who spend so much time on this can't really pinpoint. You know, we could we could just say, and I think in most of the papers they would mention about Stride's background as well as Mary Kelly is that we can't be sure where they started. But then we would. Really pinpoint her as the victim,
0: and I just think that's—I mean—it's one of the most fascinating aspects of this case is in that having like Chris Scott, um, you know, digging into the, the, what he can find of the details of these individuals is as big of a mystery as uh, the search for the murderer, and and um, and you know, um, you know the you. Do you want to devote your time to, this, to to finding the killer, or or you know um, devote your time to finding Mary Kelly, and well, it, it's
5: and that 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 leads me to kind of a question about the A to Z when um, Paul was or actually uh, Martin was saying that it's just not his in his interest to really find or solve the case. Um, but uh, the more and more information that that is received, um, even on the suspect or the victim, is there? Is there maybe a um, not a tendency, but maybe you'd have a, a glimmer that you might wind up busting the case open or finding out more material? So basically, I think it's just I'm asking what the agenda of A to Z is. Are you? Are you um, wanting to further the research or maybe even um, just use it as a compendium of what's already been researched with this new edition?
3: I think it's gone from... Initially, we, we used to do a lot of research and we had to check every fact that went in there and, and, and Keith would be the researcher going out. Uh, but as time's gone by, the subject is now so huge that it's impossible to to be much more than just an observer of what other people are doing I think think Martin would agree
2: yeah I think I would have to say further that um, Paul and I have very very clear views that historically the serious basis for approaching the case in the given uh, state of knowledge is known that an enormous amount of time is wasted on people challenging our assessment of the reliability of the earliest sources and conclusion that until the evidence of robert anderson has been thoroughly cleared up and swept away on the present information we have all other lines of inquiry are secondary with probably only drew it uh, remaining as a really important one we'd like to know very very much exactly why McNaughton thought he was the Ripper now when it comes to the A to Z Paul and I have to put this behind us we can get that into we can get that this is an opinion in the entries on Anderson on Kosminski on Cohen (laughs) but we have to make absolutely sure that we give complete fairness and justice to other suspects, some of whom, of course, have been completely discredited. There is no question Prince Albert Victor was not Jack the Ripper. There is no historical reason for suspecting for one minute that Walter Sickert was Jack the Ripper. We have to be quite firm about those, but where there are possibilities, we have to leave them open. Where good work is being done. Good work is being done by Howe Brown to show that Donston couldn't possibly have been the Ripper. Good work is being done by uh, uh, Ivor Edwards to show that Donston had every probability of being the Ripper. We have to give respect to this good work and put our own views into the background as far as we can. So the A to Z is not a book to tell you who the Ripper was. It will at times tell you who the Ripper definitely was not. It will tell you, don't listen to any story emanating from Joe Sickert, for example.
0: <laughs> well <laughs> and, and, um, how uh, I mean... How much detail do you go into individual the the, the pros and cons on individual <coughs> suspects? I mean, um, far
2: less than we'd like. We don't have the room,
0: <laughs> right? That's what I, I was going to say. I mean, you can write a whole book on you know why or why not you know any any number of the suspects were the Ripper. Um, so. We give a reason. We give where we can
2: the reason why a figure was suspected. And in an important case which too many people have heard of like Prince Albert Victor, we will give the basic facts which show that he couldn't have been that his movements are known and he just wasn't within
3: reach of the murder sites on uh, I mean basically several- it's a yeah it's basically it's a straightforward statement of of what is known uh, a lot of people misunderstand the distinction between uh, raw data and and what the historian does with that raw data and, and what the historian does is he puts the puts if you imagine the raw data to be uh... pieces of a jigsaw puzzle um, the historian puts those pieces together and of course the, the the pieces can be put together in different ways to create slightly different pictures that's why history isn't a dead and, and static subject but uh... You, you've still got the raw data so in the a to z We try to keep the interpretation of the raw data down to an absolute minimum. So if you're talking about Druitt, you will be quoting what somebody else has said about Druitt and and, uh, why they think that he was a suspect. We're not offering an opinion one way or the other. If you want discussion, you'll have to
2: get Paul's book, The Facts. I mean, that is a fantastic series of discussion. I have reached the stage of being relatively bored with The Ripper and not wanting to read new books, and was amazed when I read that one by how much it interested me.
3: Well, thank you, Martin. (laughs) Sorry, I'm struggling with a Jack Russell, who has just leapt up on me here. That's (laughs)
2: what these strange noises from your end are. Uh,
3: Yes, I'm sorry. It was... (laughs) Keith and I have, have both got Jack Russell's, and so we, uh, which we talk about immensely, and, and this one has now just got a bit jealous about, with me just talking to... Is yours a, a dog or a bitch, Paul? Uh, it's They're both bitches.
2: Uh, yeah, I knew Keith's was, with a masculine yeah. name. Yes,
3: I, I, I've forgotten what Keith's is called now. Um, yeah,
2: it's, it's a surname of some kind, and I've forgotten what it is, but I know it's always surprising to realise that
3: she's a bitch. There's senior moments creeping up on us all here. Yes.
0: <laughs> so on the um on back to the A to Z um yes. dealing with suspects, um and I we I believe we asked Martin this on the show, but Paul wasn't able to join us, so I'd like for you to chime in. Uh I can see how you can get uh uh like for instance, let's take George Chapman. You can say mm-hmm. um that the a case has been presented, or Michael yes. Gordon, blah blah blah. Yes, <clears throat> Um, now, the cons, um, do you guys come to a consensus on, on how that's presented in the book? or Because um, it's easy to state how, uh, uh, who names the suspect and what their mm-hmm. beliefs are. But when it comes to arguing against that person's mm-hmm. position, how does, how does that work?
2: As far as I remember, we limited that immensely. In the case of Michael Gordon, one's looking at reputable work. On a man who definitely existed, who definitely committed murders. There's an outside chance he could have been the Ripper. There's an outside chance that he committed the Thames murders and all those other American murders that Gordon ascribes to him. And I don't, as far as I remember, it, think we got into trying to cut down Gordon's case at all. Uh, I his don't think case is a his
3: case for us to do that. Yeah, because we would we would just state what 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 Michael Gordon's case is and uh, and leave it at that. Okay. generally speaking, it, don't we?
2: It's it's not one which we felt was... Uh, if you've got you know, an outright liar like Joseph Sickert, we say so. If you've got a very dodgy figure like Donald McCormick, we say so. We give the warnings. But where you've got an honest worker who's come to different conclusions from ours, it would be a very, very bad book if we set out to undermine
3: them. And I think we do try not to. Okay. But But you see, one of the interesting aspects of working on a book like this is that um, I can think of Keith now, I I can actually feel Keith on on, on my shoulder here, uh, listening to this and saying, uh, no, we we don't actually have that view of of Joseph Sickert at all. Uh, And I was with Keith only the other week uh, doing some research into Joseph Sickert and talking to some, some people about him. So... Um, I mean, Keith is very interested in trying to find out what the the basis of Joseph Sickert's story actually was, whether he was an out-and-out liar, as Martin believes, or whether there was some story in his family or whatever, uh, or whether, you know, completely telling the truth. Um, So working with with Martin and Keith is... uh, is, is quite <laughs> quite interesting in that respect because we, we we are different people and we all have different points of view and and one of the great things is that I think the greatest thing that we've got is mutual respect for one another because no matter how we may end up arguing uh, at, often at length person um, oh, yeah. is a real real bugger for writing extremely endlessly long uh, emails to me and I really just yes. don't have the time to read them. <laughs> This no, and man used Martin. to keep me 45 minutes on the telephone
2: when I first encountered him before I'd even met him except on the telephone. And my mother would say in horror,
3: it's that man
2: from Leeds
3: again. <laughs> <laughs> so you see how interesting a relationship it is that we have here. Um, no, I, actually, I'm, Martin is always the, Martin is complaining constantly that I write him interminably long emails explaining one point <laughs> after another. Which is why I threw that accusation at him, knowing that he would immediately bridle and, uh, and <laughs> but the thing is Tell is that the we, we, we have uh, uh, these, these we don't agree with one another, so what we have to do now is uh, we agree to have majority verdicts, so where, where Keith and Martin uh, may disagree, I have to come down on one side or the other and and um, or you know Keith does or whatever. Yes, this um, was essential if we were going to meet our deadlines, because we could argue <laughs> and argue forever. But I think it's interesting because most people seem to, that I've spoken to seem to think that Martin Keith and I, you know, are are our best buddies and and whenever possible go out all drinking together or whatever. And in fact, we don't. We have we we have wide range. we, we have similarities and differences and. And uh, and that that comes through when working on the A to Z. So we and we still go out drinking together, and we're still best buddies, <laughs> but we have very yes. great differences professionally. Exactly, but but that I think is is the mutual respect at the end of the day. Because you may go away and think, God, Keith's a total prep for thinking that, you know. But at the end of the day, you you, you know he's not because. Is a, oh, okay. a very. What do you think with researcher. Keith
2: is, oh my god, he wants more research in this area. <laughs> For Christ's sake, this is blown wide apart. But what one thinks with Paul is, oh my god,
3: he's arguing again. And what we think, well, we won't go into <laughs> what one thinks about Martin no. because we have to, you know, young children might be listening to this show.
5: <laughs> well, do you think that's the advantage of having the three uh, editors, as opposed to just one, that you do have this, um, this need to have in a majority opinion when it's all, all is said and done, when maybe one editor would have, even unconsciously, um, promote their own agenda?
2: Yeah. There's no doubt about it. Absolutely. I was very hurt by what Paul wrote about me in that book of his that I've just praised <laughs> uh, very highly, and I really was. And Paul thought he'd for complimentary weeks. to me. <laughs> we didn't talk for weeks. <laughs> We're not like that. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I was I, telling I, earlier I, about eating my sandwiches, but we won't get into that either. You
4: know? <laughs> no, <laughs> that no.
3: <laughs> been uh, been through that. Can I ask something? No, it Who's, is. Sorry. This may cause
4: I mean. this may cause schism. But whose idea originally was the A to Z?
3: Paul Mine. <laughs> It was
2: Pauls. He asked me if I had assessed, and I said, "Could we bring in Keith as well?" He said, "Well, how far are we going to split these
3: takings?" But we need Keith. <laughs> actually, it was it was kind of kind of slightly different, Martin. What what it was was um, actually the idea for the book. Is, it was Judy's. Uh, Judy being my wife. Um, she's the she was uh, the one who sort of came up with the, the 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 idea, and Keith and I had done a book headline uh, called the Scotland Yard Files, uh, because we we accumulated some information about the yard which we wanted to, to in- incorporate in a book. And I was having lunch with the editor, uh, or our editor um, at Headline, and in, back in those days, things were a lot different to the way they are now with publishers. And, and she asked me... Um, the next book was going to be what ideas we'd got for the next book, and I actually didn't have a single solitary idea. And I mentioned the A to Z to her as a joke, and within uh, you know a, a minutes, uh, I could just tell from from the way that she was behaving that, that she she'd bought it, and and basically the it was a done deal by the time the lunch was over. Um, oh, as wow. happened in those days, that. They, it uh, and so I'd always had the idea of uh, of Keith being involved because uh, obviously we we'd done the Scotland Yard files for, for headline,
6: mm.
3: and uh, Martin we we both knew, and uh, so it was a matter of uh, but it wasn't I don't think we gave Martin much choice I, I don't think it was so much as that we that Martin was asked to join us he, he was he was told you're doing it. <laughs> You're there. Yes, it's up to you, mate. You, yeah. <laughs> I don't
4: think you had a choice, did you? What I find hard to grasp is just the, the... I mean, it's... Although, obviously, there's a huge amount of work, ongoing work, as, as you said earlier, with the, the, the revisions and that, but it's just the sort of sheer daunting... How, how long did it take from that idea to the first edition being ready? How long did the first edition actually
3: take? Oh, I can't okay. remember, Martin. June.
2: Two years, about the sort of time that one would allow
3: for. Been about two years, I think we had they, something you, probably like that when you. I mean, in those it.
4: early stages, didn't you? At some stage, just sit down and say, "How on earth do we start?"
3: No, I mean, we, um... did that, we did that
2: from the <laughs> outset. We we, uh, we made we knew what the word count was. We estimated how many uh, types of entries we'd need to have we then listed what we thought were the necessary entries could see what the average length of each entry would have to be then right. Keith has enormous files. Keith's research is absolutely fantastic, and he collects and photocopies everything. He then made copies of all his materials, or the bulk of his materials, and sent them over to us so that we had them to work from. Paul and I did the actual writing and pointed Keith at where we needed more information and more research. Mm. And we nearly bogged down completely then in huge disagreement on how we were going to treat Cohen Kosminski.
1: Mm. That was the well, first evidence. It's
2: going <laughs> to be very, very, very difficult for us to work together uh, presenting any conclusions. Keith would like us to write a book which offered no arguments and no conclusions at all, absolutely nothing but printed facts. Mm. Paul and I both think that this would not satisfy readers who want to know, at least broadly, what they can and what they can't believe about Jack the Ripper. Mm. But it is not easy for us to collaborate, uh, because all of us have a sense that our own beliefs um, reflect on our own integrity, and that compromising them is very, very difficult. But they have to be compromised, because we don't
3: all share exactly the same beliefs. Mm. I think one of the problems again that you you encounter is uh, which uh, is a very important one. I'm, Martin knows this obviously, as, as probably you all do. But um, a fact, I can't. I just can't think of an example <laughs> off the top of my head. But um, certain pieces of information don't actually make sense if they're not put into some sort of context. Yeah and so you have to put the information into a context in the A to Z for it to, to, obviously for it to make sense. But in some instances the context can be slightly different, so Martin could see something as being completely different from the way that I would see it as being, uh, or Keith would see it as, as being different. Um, so it's that, that's really where, where conflicts may arise where where we where we say one person says, well but you know let, let, we have got to put this way and and, and the others uh, say no we, we can't do it that way. Mm. Let's take the next question of the seaside home. What is meant exactly by claim
2: that the identification took place in the seaside home?
5: Mm. Well
2: now you have to start by saying The normal meaning of Seaside Home in police usage is the Seaside Home opened in Hove in uh, 1890. But then you Mm -hmm. have to add that we know from Police Gazette documents that ad hoc uh, convalescent homes were in use uh, from the time of the opening of the Convalescent Home Fund in 1887 and that Mm -hmm. these two were referred to as the Seaside Home. That's before you even get to the question... Why in God's name would any identification take place at a seaside home? Before you say, well, write that off, that's only of interest to uh, Beg and Fido, you then have to note that uh, Evans and uh, Rumbelow have come up with a wholly new suggestion about what might be meant by the seaside home. So there's a lot of context that has to go in simply for us to recognize one of the recent proposals by two researchers who are, we ri- widely respect, as does everyone else.
3: Yeah. And then of, yeah. then, of course, on top of that, you've got the fact that Swanson actually writes the Seaside Home with a capital S and a capital H, mm. which would suggest that he was referring to a specific place, not just one of several boarding houses that the police used uh, to send convalescent policemen to, mm. and then there's the counter-arguments to all of that, that whilst the seaside home does refer to a specific place, it doesn't necessarily mean the convalescent home that the police were using, but could mean, you know, the postman's seaside home, or mm. or whatever. And and now, how do you balance all of those up? How, how in the A to Z do you then say, well, um, the seaside home doesn't actually mean anything at all, the capitalization, etc. How do you say, well, I don't really think it means the postman's seaside home? You you can't do how, those how do you things. You further,
2: can, how do you deal further? You said Swanson, did you... Uh, sorry, Swanson,
3: yes. Uh, sorry, yeah. please go. Sorry, it's, uh, that, that was basically it. I, I was just saying is, is, is that there are times when how you interpret that particular... Statement um, can rest on on so many external factors yep. that that, mm. that bring your uh, piece of which questions your your source ability at source analysis and what you're doing, mm. and you can't drag all that into the A to Z entry on what is, after all, at the end of the day, a fairly minor entry. Yes.
4: Mm. Yep. I, yeah, I think I mean all you can do is uh, the. the, the the other added problem I would find in not I don't ever take on such a monstr- you know a momentous task, but you've also who are you aiming it at? I mean, what what level of knowledge of the case do you assume in in the readership?
3: I think because basic.
4: Obviously, that's going to colour how much detail you have. You you know you feel you have to go into and how much context you have to give.
3: Yeah, informed basic knowledge, I think, is is is. Was the basic uh, initial idea? Um, mm. It was really more, the concept to start off with was more or less um, because back back then you, you've got to bear in mind there were no magazines, the books were infrequent, uh, there was no internet, there's, there's there was none of all the, the for the sharing of information that was no, available no, today. No so what we were essentially doing was was was, was, to all intents and purposes was collecting references to all the people and places and so forth that were in all the published books and there Mm. weren't that very many at that time i mean peter Mm. underwood's book was was one of the most problematic we had because it had Mm -hmm. contributions in it from half a dozen other people yeah um and so at that time, um, we included any the name of anybody who had written on the Ripper. For this mm. edition, you, the only way that you get a personal entry in the A to Z now is if you've died, mm. um, <laughs> because the we, living, there were just too many. <laughs> because how how do you how do you deal with with some of the people who are contributing superb yeah. research to to um, to the magazines uh, or, or to the the casebook message boards? Mm. Um, and how, d- how do you then distinguish between them? You, you might think to yourself, well, okay, we should include so-and-so because yeah. uh, of the research they've done, and, and therefore we have to exclude somebody else who is yeah. as equally uh, prolific contributor to the message boards
5: yeah.
3: um, but hasn't contributed something that we consider to be um, merit and entry. Well, yeah. you know, that's our judgment, so we don't want to do that. No. So the only
4: way is to exclude them all.
3: That's right. So it was was a hard decision to make because we didn't want to do that. And in some instances we thought, well, to actually write something about the author um, gives you some insight into the way Mm -hmm. that that author will be interpreting their material. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, And of course, uh, we had to make this decision after I...
2: Contacted a number of people and asked for details for us to put in the next edition, and then we yeah, realised yeah. just too much. So people have very yeah. kindly sent me dates of birth and other personal details, and it, uh, it's not going to be used.
3: Mm. And Martin Martin so, doesn't want to, to hope they die um, just so that we can do the <laughs>
4: No,
3: <laughs> that's a totally mean way of uh, of doing things, but, uh, but a fair yeah, one. So it's difficult. Yes. Yeah, but it's, it's it's very difficult to to do that.
0: Now, yeah. as far as the contributions of individuals who are living, um, did you guys basically limit that to published book authors or No. Okay.
6: Oh no
2: no, 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 no. no, no. I no, mean, no. You know, we used the internet sources, we <laughs> surveyed the magazines. This is all where material is out. The internet is now uh, an area of important research. <laughs> yes.
3: One of the, the the things that we have tried to introduce in in this edition, and I'm not sure that it's uh, it's as successful as as it will be in in future editions, but we, would, we we've devoted some space to trying to source particularly uh, contentious or or rare bits of information. We you, you can't always source uh, where the birth, death, or or Age or where you, where that kind of information came from, and in some instances, that you know, we have rather plaintive comments when we're emailing bits to each other in the process of writing and saying, "Where on earth did we get this piece of information from?" Right. Mm-hmm. or, or mm-hmm. are we sure that this is the
0: first person who's suggested fill in the blank?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's right. So, or, yeah, it, it's 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 massively difficult, and of course you you're very conscious uh, as well that the one thing that a lot of the people out there are doing uh, is actually looking for errors in the book, so they can mm-hmm. then have the uh, their their, <laughs> their moment of pleasure of going on the case book and saying, well, of course the A to Z's got a mistake in it in this one, or it's terribly unreliable over this. <laughs> But it's a, it's a tough book to actually put together and, and keep up to date with all the information.
0: Mm. And to keep mm. a similar page count
3: as the first edition...
0: Um, yeah, I mean, that, just that's we have, we have had a bit
2: of expansion allowed us. We have had a, li- a yeah. bit of expansion allowed. I but mean, not, as not as much as we would like. Just <laughs>
0: no, an, no. an entirely new book, it's sounding like, and it's just amazing.
3: It's yeah. it's a lot of, lot of new stuff going in all the time. But then you get somebody like... Uh, Somebody called Chris Scott who just went and shoved up a load of stuff on the Whitechapel Infirmary registers oh, yes. uh, on the casebook the other day, sorry. which uh, necessitates <laughs> <it>. <laughs> changes to a variety of entries. When um, you say
2: entirely new, there's not a great deal that's hugely new to say about the victims, for example. Although there no, is new work. Go on. Paul, sorry.
3: sorry. Well, there, there was in, in as much as Neil Sheldon did most of his work on the victims in the ten years. Uh, since we published, so although we were, f- you know, fully aware of of what had happened, it, would, it you know, and and so will everybody else be. There, there's a fair bit of new information about uh, about the victims that's uh, that's gone in as a result of work from uh, Chris and uh, Neil Sheldon and, and.
4: Do you find it difficult? I mean, these the um, there are certain people involved, both actually contemporary with the case and also living people who sort of arouse people's passions, um, you know, pro or con. I'm thinking of, you know, people who champion Hutchinson as the killer or contemporary example. I mean, people have got very forthright opinions about uh, somebody like Patricia Cornwall. I mean, do you you find it difficult at times to deal with certain entries in an even-handed way?
3: Not really. Um... I certainly don't. I, I'm. I mean, so I, I. met, for example, I met Joseph Sickert on several occasions. Really got on with him. Like the guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. He used to, to phone me on a, you know, every now and again, and uh, we chatted. And I went and with Paul Feldman and uh, Melvin Fairclough and uh, spoke to Ellen May Lackner, who was um, Joseph's cousin or something like that yeah uh, and she was telling us uh stories about joseph's childhood and in from the information that she was giving us it seems that the origins of this story that joseph joseph was telling um you know he didn't he didn't invent that he, mm. he there was a, a a genuine foundation for it of some sort i'm not saying that but the finish. as a
4: family story yeah
3: yeah, and and it yeah. was it was going on there. Now, other people I've, I've been speaking to who knew Joseph uh, for many years are, you know, totally believe uh, believe what he's said. Now, there's mm. something there. There's something in the background, mm. and ferreting away at that, we may be able to find out what it is. The same thing with stay. Patricia. I may say, staying with Joseph Sickert for a moment,
6: Yeah.
2: but I think that what Paul and uh, Feldy and friends found through Ellen May Lachner is fairly easily interpretable. Uh, Joseph's mother was illegitimate. Uh, it seems very likely that elaborate stories, possibly involving Walter Sickert to try and give her a distinguished background, were being woven by Joseph's mother before he was born and that he or she or both elaborated on them. I don't think that one has to say, you know, there's something behind it in any sense that there's anything that suggests that mm. the wild poppycock that came out in Stephen Knight's book is resting on some
3: sort of truth. The family, no, I'm just, the family tradition. I'm just saying there. that there, there is something there. I mean, the, the, all I'm and trying to is say is... is the family tradition that, of trying to make yeah. the illegitimacy uh, important. The easy you know, easy route is is to is, to, is to is and and I mean that in, in two senses of it being easy. The easy route is to is to basically say, uh, <coughs> excuse me, that Joseph Sickert was a, an out and out liar. End of story. But yes, he was. You can say, but there was some <coughs> some material at the um, at the outset that he's he's built on and embroidered. So. It's a slight. I know. It's it's perhaps not a great distinction, but there is a slight difference between uh, between being an out and out liar and uh, an embroidering some material that you'd already got.
6: Yeah,
2: you're getting a good example of the differences between us here. Uh, the big difference <laughs> is interpretation that Paul and I are constantly mm. making. So I would say, for example, that it seems to me highly probable that some of the aspects of Joe Sickert's story came from his being a relatively disadvantaged deaf Catholic boy who came under the attention of the St. Vincent de Paul Society. We know that such boys uh, were given holidays uh, on the um, estates of the Duke of Norfolk. uh, premier Catholic layman uh, in those days. Joe Sickert appears to have been on some of these things, and I think that some of his delusions of grandeur, if one might put them that way, uh, took color from that. Now, mm. Paul would um, say, yes, that's possible, but we and it, obviously we don't know that that's true. That's totally speculative. Um, but I think that... Something along those lines is more probable than anything of real interest to historians of Jack the Ripper. I don't think that mm. Joseph Sickert has mm. anything of real interest to say to historians
3: of Jack the Ripper. No, and I would I would agree with Martin 100% um, in, in that respect. But, of course, uh, it depends on how you're... Which, again, is one of those problems. It depends how you're viewing it. Know the story has no... Uh, it was extremely unlikely to have uh, much merit for uh, historians of Jack the Ripper, but at the same time uh, what Martin has just described fleshes out what Joseph was telling us so we are now seeing this man who we, we are beginning to see the pieces mm. being coming together that create that story that uh, that, that mm. ultimately was transformed into the one that Stephen Knight uh, yeah. told. So we can we can see that there were basics at the back of it. With regard to other things, uh, again, uh, I mean Patricia Cornwell is um, is another example of somebody who's taken a horrendous beating in in uh, uh, in the press and really you There's there's the need to stand back a little bit and and start Mm. to actually look at some of the stuff that she has done.
4: Mm. Well, Well, Joseph, I mean, to me, one of the most interesting questions, and and you, Paul, is somebody who you said you met and and communicated with, uh, Joseph, quite a lot, and met him. To me, the I mean, I've only ever seen that, um, you know, the extract from that Barlow and Watts thing in the seventies, which I think was when the first the story first broke in public didn't it
3: yeah that's right you
4: gave, you gave an interview on the, the to me the not the crucial question but one of the most interesting questions is did, did you get the impression that joseph himself believed what he was saying
3: absolutely um i right. remember one of the uh one of the most convincing things that i saw i, I was having lunch with uh, with joseph and paul feldman and I explained some reason um, at the time. Um, uh, sorry, distraction there for a moment. Uh, that the Abilene diary was was a fake, and I was able to demonstrate to him beyond question that the Abiline diary was a fake. Yeah. And he looked poleaxed. He he looked absolutely stunned, uh, and and he just sort of said. Well, uh, where did it come? Who wrote it then? And that just get it was. I can't really describe it. People say, "Well, you know, he, he was acting. He was doing this. He was doing that." But, mm. but to me, uh, that came across as, as genuine, total shock, which is one so of what, the reasons why I've always thought that they're, they're, that that he was fed information by somebody else, and and it was somebody else who who he believed who gave him the the, the diary. And uh, so,
4: what? What I was going to say. What was the provenance of the diary? Do we know?
3: Uh, no, he really. said he was given it by Aberline,
2: didn't he? That Aberline. Well, no, him, no. It,
3: it it's supposed to have been given to him by Walter Sickert, who was in turn given to it, given it by Aberline. All
4: oh, right,
3: but yeah, pull up a tree um, and
2: I'll tell you a likely story.
3: But you know how how it got into uh, Joseph's hands and where it came from. We, if if that if what he his claim isn't true, then then we don't know yeah. whether. Um, uh, I mean, I, I, there, there's um, there, there's a character who floats around on the uh, very close to uh, to Joseph called uh, Harry Jonas, who was mm. a sort of semi-notable artist of of the of the time. Quite a you know, he earned his good enough to earn his living and and be exhibited. And he may well have um, may well have been. Uh, uh, or I've, I've thought that he may well have been the person who um, g- gave uh, Joseph the, the diary because uh, he claimed to have been a friend of of Walter. So uh, is yeah. it still
4: in, is it still physically in existence? Uh,
3: I I believe that it isn't. I think Joseph uh, destroyed it. Right. Uh, but he yeah, he he was um, he was a. <laughs> It was just—he was an extraordinary man, really, uh, in many ways. And um, yeah, you know, it's—he he, he was a delightful company. Um, obviously, a very good raconteur, uh, <laughs> tell you stories. But some, you'd sometimes did just you, look did, at him with.
4: Did you get the feeling that he regretted going public with the story? <laughs> uh,
3: he well, it's difficult to answer that. Uh, it sounds stupid, um, but his attitude was was that he 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 didn't regret it. Um, there are those who know, knew him uh, infinitely better than I did, uh, or did, um, who have said that Joseph f- felt safer once he told the story. But then, there's all kinds of, of stories about. Um, mm. About MI five and 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 mm. yeah, threats on his the life. The nonsense
2: about his... Peter Sutcliffe coming down and trying to kill him.
3: Mm. Yes, That's well, there's, there's the stories th- keep
2: in the public
6: eye.
3: There's a range of uh, of of stuff like that, but but yes, I mean, I, I, his his attitude was that he did feel uh, a lot better. And of course, um, the thing that we should try to remember, I suppose, is is, is that apart from anything else, he has a wife and uh, and family and granddaughters or. Uh, all of whom loved him greatly and uh, and admire him and uh,
6: mm.
3: you know the the um, it's easy to forget that uh, that you know people can be hurt by by the way that uh, Joseph is talked about now but mm. I, I, mm. I'm not trying to get at Martin there but I'm <laughs> But, uh, but we, we, try, you know, you, there's even in the writing of the A to Z, there's this try, effort, I, I think, to try and uh, try and keep a balance right, and, mm-hmm. and that the same thing applies to to Patricia Cornwell and mm-hmm. uh, people like that. It's it's not always easy, and we we have characters oh, nice. burnt on occasions for for being a little too honest. Um, yeah. I
0: was going to ask you a kind of a related question, um, since you just mentioned. Uh, Editorial license, and um, what about subjects that the three of you agree upon? Um, And, like, how do you um, deal with, for example, subject matter like the Swanson marginalia, where some will say um, that its providence has not sufficiently been established? Um, oh, that,
2: that is quite simple. We think that that is, we know that that is rubbish. That is unscholarly nonsense. I wrote a long piece for the internet explaining why and we agreed that that was what we would do rather than putting anything in the book. But take it from me absolutely as uh, one of the few people who's been in this field with historical scholarly training. The provenance of the Swanson marginalia is impeccable, and any claims otherwise are totally invalid and totally unscholarly. The piece is back there on the internet explaining how provenance is established and why this is impeccable, if you have any doubts about that.
0: Oh, I don't personally. Okay. It's just when no. we were discussing on views that are expressed on the message boards, and maybe how they get incorporated into the book. Um, you know how you how you guys would approach subjects like that, to where you know there are there's camps small as they may be yeah. that um, that
2: one we dealt with okay. by saying we'll deal with it elaborately outside the book and point to that dealing with inside the book but we're not going to get involved in arguing with things that we know are nonsense
0: right okay
3: I'm I question... sorry uh, go ahead go ahead no. just finish it your- so i was I was, I was just going to, to say that uh, one of the other problems that you do encounter a lot uh, is that, as Martin has just said, um, there are accepted ways of assessing source material. There always has been. Um, we get a lot of this stuff now saying, well, you know, it hasn't been subjected to proper forensic tests mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. Well hardly any historical documents have been subjected to uh, forensic tests, and obviously the further back in time you go, you're not even looking at the original document, you're looking at copies of copies of copies of copies of the original mm-hmm. document. Right. Uh, and so, uh, provenance is, is an established way, both in, in historical research and indeed in even in the antiques business, of establishing the authenticity of a document or of a piece of furniture or whatever, and you and that's one of the few ways that a historian has got of relying on the data. Mm. And of course, a lot of that comes also from an assessment of the of the people concerned. And in the in the case of the, the, the Swanson marginalia, uh, Jim Swanson um, would appear to, to to be a totally reliable man. He um, and and there's absolutely no reason really to question the marginalia apart from the the differences uh, that that Stuart has has pointed out about the uh, the different pencil but I think I'm right in saying that even the the Scotland Yard uh, guy who uh, did subject it to a forensic examination have said that that all parts of the marginalia were written by the same person albeit he he thinks that it may have been written some years apart Um, I'm not sure Nobody has, uh, I certainly haven't seen I'm sh- I, the, the report that this guy wrote. It's never been published. Um, it's a private document held by by Scotland Yard because they paid for it. And I really don't know how the, the forensic examiner is able to tell that these two pieces were written uh, several years apart where... Uh, b- and, and not, for example, a few hours apart after he's had his tea and a few few glasses of uh, of wine, and and is sitting in a different chair, in a different position, in a different location with a different pencil. How how do you determine distinguish that from something that was written ten or fifteen years after the the original? I don't know. Um, Jim Swanson
2: had told me that uh, the old man spent his latter years out in his greenhouse tying flies and writing I said well, that's right? right and writing and he got it up, was putting notes in all his books in the and again of his
3: books. people don't don't realize that there are other books of Swanson's as well as yep. the, the the his own copy of the lighter side which has got which have got um copies uh, have got marginalia in it I've got I've, absolutely there was uh, there was a book by Pinkerton about Adam Worth, who was the uh, the, the criminal who uh, pinched the Duchess of Devonshire painting. Uh, that was a, a very important case to Swanson because he knew who mm-hmm. nicked it, and he had a photograph of uh, of the painting on his desk, which mm-hmm. was uh, which he so he looked at it every single day. And I have that photograph um, here, uh, and uh, he he. Mar- he's, he makes notes in the margins of that particular book uh, quite liberally, I mean there are at least six to six or seven I think uh, different areas where he expands upon what the author wrote So,
4: and, uh, well um, he's not the only one who did that either is he no I mean there's, no, I mean, book, uh, there's one by Little Child with, with notes that he made in pencil in the margin really? Yeah, oh, that's
2: interesting because we really yes, need to I know do. a lot more about Little Child
4: Yes, um, I've got copies of the. T- I've got copies. It's not Ripper related.
2: Doesn't matter. Is- Anything which I'm, will yeah. tell us more about his
4: character I, I, is important. I've got copies, and it's got handwritten notes, and he, again he initials it at the end.
3: Well, that was because they was that that's something that they did all the time. That's right. Um, in in reports, isn't it? But uh,
4: yeah, I'll dig those out. I've got copies of yeah. them
3: somewhere. Yes, that's yep. two things I need. To, I'm going to start making a list of stuff that I need to contact yep. you about by email
4: tomorrow morning. I'll, 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 email you those, um, yeah, I'll email those to you tomorrow.
2: Brilliant. That is Brilliant. very important because, because one of our biggest difficulties with Tumble Tea is assessing the reliability, I don't mean the honesty, I mean, the the good sense and judgment of Little Child. His memoirs tell us almost nothing which you can use at all. The letter itself contains this odd idea that homosexuals were all sadistic, but uh, goodness knows uh, sexual psychology was not desperately sophisticated in the police at that time. We'd love to know more. Was he... uh, a jolly, pretty unreliable type like McNaughton, a completely unreliable raconteur yeah. like Smith, um, a narrow uh, uh, man of uh, aggressive, wanting-to-be-good character like Anderson uh, uh, or a milder version of the same sort of thing uh, like Sergeant. Think We don't know, and it's terribly yeah. difficult to assess what the little child letter is worth.
4: The only reason I laughed was because it reminded me of a comment about Ian Fleming, who had this very peculiar notion. I don't think it's in one of the Bond books, but I remember it being on QI and Stephen Fry. Um, one way of spotting them: uh, Ian Fleming was convinced that homosexual can't whistle. <laughs> all right, which I thought was, which I thought was wonderful.
3: I'm surprised yes. we all didn't start whistling then. That's why I, did, <laughs> I thought we'd all just whistle.
4: I, I thought it was wonderful. But anyway, yes, I'll I'll dig those out, and
3: so um... that'd be great.
4: Can I can I just ask one last question about um, Joe Sickett? Did yes. was he the was he the source? Because I've never seen a credit for the source of the, the photograph of Netley. Was that from Joseph?
3: Um, I think that was from that. That was one of the most important things that convinced. Uh, Stephen Knight, that uh, Joseph was telling the truth. Right. Um, because I think that was information. I'm not sure about the photograph. I think no. that probably did come from Joseph, but certainly the information uh, that's showing that that Netley existed. Yes. And by the way,
2: my own personal guess is that Netley was probably Joseph Sickert's grandfather. Yeah, I mean, it's... it's um, <laughs> That's purely a guess, but yeah, here no, no, some did this. The family knew about, and he's able to pull out. There he is, and we know that the mystery in the family is who exactly was uh, Joseph's <coughs> mother's father.
3: But there might be might be things about Joseph um, that you know we we'll be able to uh, to tighten up and uh, may. may uh, yep. May prove quite interesting. That's uh, being done at the moment. Although that yeah. will no doubt uh, be a remark now that will get John Omlo down on my back now. But I, <laughs> I want to uh, be like Keith Skinner, dropping, dropping little secret squirrel comments. <laughs> I'd like Although,
1: to, uh, I'd like to ask a question that I, I don't think um, either Martin or Paul, you've, either of you, have addressed on this or previous shows uh, in regards to the A to Z, and that is um, um, photographs like. What we see is some new photographs, like in in the A to Z, and and how do you decide and who decide what what photographs actually go in with the text?
3: Um, I I think the photographs uh, actually don't interest me a great deal, Um, but I think the photographs basically dictate themselves. You have to put the photographs of, of the senior policemen in, you have to put the photographs of um, the main suspects in, and you have to put the photographs of the victims in, and if you can get away with it, then, uh, and there's a little bit of space left over, then the, the photographs of the murder scenes go in. Um, you know, it would be nice to be able to put illustrations of, uh, of, of of a lot more stuff in there as well, but it's, you only get a, a limited number of plates, and, and really uh, that's, that's pretty much about it. <coughs> uh, Win Baxter and, uh, and, uh, and George Lusk and so forth. But, um, and, the, and the major doctors, they, you know, there's, there's, that's it. Photographs are Paul and Keith's thing. Keith is a great collector.
2: Paul is brilliantly trying to get set up that the new A to Z will have its photographs placed, uh, on the pages with the articles
3: to which they refer.
2: So not stuffed in the middle in a section?
3: Yep. No, hope, hopefully it'll be be embedded in the in the text of the entry. Um, good. It Well, it's good and bad. It's good in as much as you can get, maybe get a few more illustrations in than you would be able to otherwise, but obviously the quality of the illustrations are not going to be right. as great. And also, um, the size of the the illustration may not be as as big as you would like it to be either because it, which in some instances um, where, where you want the picture to be fairly detailed uh, you're going to lose that as well but it's a balance between trying to get it so that it means more when, when you when you see the illustration in context with the word rather than having to to flip back and forth uh, you know from for, to 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 look at the, uh, the the picture in a in a central section,
0: and I guess um, maybe you you kind of have approached this as um, the uh, reader of this text is going to hopefully have already read um, other books on the case and be familiar with the photographs, and so maybe you know that that kind of would lessen the importance of photographs for the A to Z, you know.
3: But it's kind of it's kind of difficult because, um, as I said earlier, you, you, you're thinking of the the authors or, or the re- potential reader as being an informed reader. Um, so therefore, hopefully, the, the the basic thing is is that they will they will be reading. We always have this vision, I, I suppose, of somebody sitting reading the book and coming across, or reading a book and coming across a name and think, oh. Uh, who was that? And then they can go to the A to Z, and they can find out a bit more information than perhaps the uh, the author of the book that they're reading has given, uh, and maybe be able to put it into a context that the reader of the book, you know, the the imaginary book that they're reading, not our book, um, mm. put, put people into a context uh, which the author of that book hasn't hasn't uh, put them in. Um, uh, basically, because quite frequently we, we ourselves have to refer to the A to Z to remind ourselves of of this bit of data or that bit of data.
0: And then so um, kind of. I, uh, I was just going to say, and then you know, just to plug Chris Scott again. I'm um, the uh, work he's done, like um, with the the um, Jack the Ripper. Um, the the ebook that's up on the casebook, um, mm. the, the cast of thousands, the cast of thousands, right? Cast the thousands. Yeah. You know, um, if you're wondering, you know, if you come across the name, you know, see, look i love it that book. That, Z, that's... you know, go? You know, if pretty soon, you know, there's just so many more resources available to find out um, just the detailed information
3: about um, all the participants in this. Chris mystery. has has a lot of scope there to do stuff that we just don't have, have the the. <laughs> Uh, to be able to to do ourselves, we we can't put that information into the into the A to Z. He can uh, can and does um, record in full uh, the, the, what the census says, for example, or or whatever of all the people living in a particular property, and and uh, uh, and, and and thus gives it a, a fuller picture than the one that we are able to do, and that's that's
4: it's it's really, sort of po- it's really sort of poking about in little corners i, I don't mean not, i don't mean that in a sort of mock humble way but i because i don't i'm not financially reliant on it so therefore and i can sort of go go where i please as i said last week if i'm doing a certain line of research and either it's getting nowhere or i get bored with it i just go off and do something else
3: yes I mean, but what what you're producing is is um, vitally important stuff uh, and it's what all the magazines were created for in the first place anyway yeah, was, yeah, you know, yeah. and was to provide this information for other researchers yeah. and to see the way in which researchers come together and, and um, bounce off one another uh, is and, and, and suddenly go away and produce stuff and I'm sitting here thinking where the hell did they find that out in 12 hours
6: mm. Mm.
3: <laughs> but that's the internet again for you I guess but it mm i don't even know where to go to look for it so you guys are doing some great great stuff
4: uh to be honest a lot of it is luck you you're um i sort of go fishing you know i go with uh, sort of about three things in there's certain things i'm you know as i said last week i'm still sort of desperately after you know i want a date of death rostrog but i don't think i'm going to find it um there's certain minor characters I want to know more about, you know, Dean Schutz, Bowyer, um, and what have you. The little bits yeah. you do find out are quite nice, like um, finding out the name of Julia Venton, his husband and what he did and stuff like that. I mean, it's of, of no, um, it's of no real importance to the case at all.
3: The no, but it adds, adds flavour and it adds colour, and that's, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's and
4: really and, also, and also some of them are surprising because um, I assumed, I assumed from her name that her husband would turn out probably to be Dutch. At a guess, if it was like Van Turney, um, but I mean his Christian name was and was Anthony with an I on the end, huh. which which suggests Italian or some such yes. extraction, and he was listed as a photographic a uh, photographic artist. Which was a uh, quite a surprise, mm.
6: but,
4: you know. It was a, a different sort of station in life than I would have been expecting. I'd also like to find Harry Owen, you know, this this. Um,
3: That's right. Yes.
4: You know, because there was a Henry Owing living at Miller's Court, and i, I always but he was apparently a happily married man, but um, you know whether he was the young man that uh, that Missus Prater was waiting for, one you know, one doesn't know.
1: It's just and so much that. Yeah, and you also mentioned that, of course, we know nothing of Alice Mackenzie.
4: No, nothing at all. Well, two alleged facts, you know.
1: Yeah,
3: two alleged facts.
4: She was about 40 and, and born and all brought up in Peterborough, and that's it.
3: Somebody else came from Peterborough, didn't they, or was said
2: to come from uh, Yes, Catherine. Ed, uh, no, she came from Wolverhampton. That's
3: right, yeah. yeah. Uh, Peterborough figures some, some uh, somewhere, I'm sure... Probably uh, yeah. Alice McKenzie. Have you,
4: have you found in... Have you found in research is strange sort of like coincidences? Um, have you found, you know, that thing you're doing a line of research and suddenly, you know, it's like that last little thing that I've done, that, that ripper in Ramsgate, because I kept doing lines of research and it kept coming back to Ramsgate where I live. And I thought, what's going on? <coughs> is, it, is this dropping hints? <laughs> um, I did I did background on one of the police constables involved. Um, for the life of me, I can't remember which one. And it turned out that not only did he come originally from Ware in Hertfordshire, which is where my sister lived, but he lived in the same road. Oh wow! Uh-huh. Park yeah, Road since- in where? and it, it's things like that. So I had to phone her up, and she keeps her eyes open in the local paper because occasionally there's bits about Jack there. So occasionally I get great wads of stuff through the post. I what think is it, said, I said. S- sorry. I think I think so open- sorry go ahead
1: sorry? go ahead
4: Go ahead, chris I was just gonna add you know having a sort of open agenda um, <coughs> both, both in terms of you know what I'm interested in cause it's not only jack stuff I mean I'm doing like my own family history and the fiction side and stuff as well so you know if I, if I get bored with the jack stuff I can just go to something else um, and you know having time on my hands um, then you know it uh, I say it fills the day I don't mean that in a in that sort of way I mean it's sometimes there's not enough hours in the day but it sort of liberates you because I don't I'm I'm really not interested in you know uh, suspects in terms of what Martin was saying early on and his sort of um, thumbnail sketch of a typical book I thought was very good you know because when you buy another suspect based book you think oh we've got to plough through the murders again you know it's I don't mean in that sense I'm bored with them, but, you know, you, there's the obligatory summary of all the murders, and then you thought, right, now, let's get, get down to the nub of it, and then you get the demolition of rival theories, and then you get, um, inevitably, in most cases, a sort of fairly unconvincing argument at the end. And it became such, such a stock blueprint that um, most suspect. I've got, I bought Uncle Jack, for example. I must admit I haven't read it yet.
1: Um, uh, you, you don't need to if you don't want to.
0: Martin, you you were going to say something, Martin, um, before Chris's latest comments? Uh,
2: Yes, I was, and I can't remember what it was at all. Okay.
1: I was just going to mention about the coincidences that um, um, sometimes when they creep up in in the case, uh, you know, I hate the way that that some people try to use them as as some type of conspiracy or to build a case or or something uh, with them. Uh,
0: yes, it's we see that we see it on the message boards
1: quite a bit.
2: It's, it's yes, a lot of people don't really understand the difference between uh, a coincidence and a link. A coincidence merely means that two things occurred at a similar or an apparently related time, but that is a coincidence, and you've got to have a third point to triangulate it before you've really got a link and what I was going to say was that the only coincidence personal coincidence of that kind I came across in researching the Ripper was to find to my surprise that my grandfather had been born and my maternal grandfather was born bang in the Ripper territory uh, and uh, would have been about 18 at the time of the murders but I don't think he was Jack the Ripper. He died <laughs> in the 1920s so I never knew him. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um. Okay. Feel
3: left out of this. I, I, I haven't discovered anybody of my family who was born anywhere near the East End of London. <laughs>
0: Neither have I. So, now this is uh, going on a long show. Um, so I, I should probably wrap it up here shortly. I know it's getting late there in the UK. Um, so, anyone have any last uh, comments, questions, for? Martin, or Paul, or anyone?
2: Just what a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Oh, thank, thank you for being here as well. It's yeah, a, our
4: pleasure. it's been, it's been great. Uh, thank Ro- you, too, Robert, as well.
0: Any, any, uh, any final comments? You're going to be off the podcast for quite a while, so this is your last chance in, in a while to make yourself heard. No, just
1: I'll see everybody in a month, and, you know, this was a lot of fun, as always.
0: Yes, yes it was. Was RipperCast, episode 20, The Ripper Scribes And we are a weekly podcast on the Whitechapel murders Available for download via the iTunes Music Store In the podcast section, keyword Jack the Ripper Or you can subscribe via our website at www.rippernet.com Where you'll find an archive of all of the episodes streaming Or for download And I do want to thank everyone for being on the show today that was martin fido paul beg chris scott robert mclaughlin mike covel ali Ryder, and levon Tao. and i want to thank everyone for listening and we'll see you next week